That means, Dan, means a day is short, the workers are lazy, the work is a lot, and the boss is, boss is pushing. Okay. In other words, do you know what that means? Yeah. Get to work. It means that God doesn't like Australia. <laughs> <laughs> hey? What's the connection? Because uh, all those values described in the Mishnah are antithetical to Australian. Do you understand? Yeah. The day is short. Yeah, no, not really. No, it goes, goes on for a long time for me, my especially in summer. But probably Matalim, like as a critique, that's for them as a mailer, you know. We need time off. Um, the boss is pushing. Nah. And there's a lot of reward. Yeah, just kind of be mediocre. It's just chill, man. It's a society that strives for mediocrity. <laughs> strives. Not like, it's not just like later. Hey? No, they're succeeding. Yeah, it's true. They're not they're actually making it. Like, how do you define success? By being mediocre. In Australia. In Australia. Like, oh. when, when you've got, like, when you've got, like, a, you know, a nice-sized house with, like, you know, like, two, two kids, two, like, nice-sized kids with the, the dog. Like one, of the, one, of, one of my friends, who's a doctor, a colleague, I mean, a fellow doctor, commented when he heard his wife was pregnant. He said, whoa, he said, that's crazy. Why don't you just, like, not have another kid and buy a new car? Jim, say, go have your priorities right, mate. You wasn't even joking. No. Do you know how expensive kids are? You could like get a new model Merc. It would be amazing. Are you joking? And kids make a noise and they they ruin the peace, mate. Can <laughs> <laughs> we? Why are you so far away, American? I mean, you want to be there? Chas v'shalem. Okay, Yeshim Atirin. Have you got a copy of the the? page in front of you well, you should have didn't Daniel Rabbi Zai just make me copies uh, hey uh, well you have to look inside the text so go share with someone you're going to have to move towards the table I'm so sorry to do this to you do you have a copy in front of you yeah okay Hari Alistim we're going to go through this again Hari Alistim the realists there are people who make this realistic claim. That faith, dimyon, is imagination. Told us And the reason why you come up with this, this um, fantasy of faith is because you do, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's caused by the fact that you give up hope on ever getting what you really want in life. So since you can't have things, you make up a fantastic, a fantasy equivalent. Since you can't quite achieve the fame and fortune that the world offers you, so then you say, I, I just fail. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need, I don't need riches and wealth. I'm happy. I'm happy because I'm close to, to Hashem. That's going to give me the joy. I'm good. And they say that's just making yourself feel better. Meaning, Faith is there to make you feel better. It's called the opiate of the masses. I think he's, I think he's, he's hinting to Marx. Um, that faith is there to, to, to anesthetize you to the suffering and pain of the world that you don't get what you want. So if you don't get what you want, you might as well believe that's all for a good reason. 
In other words, like, how am I going to cope with adversity? Well, if I all of a sudden believe it, it's happening for the best and there's going to be a great outcome and all suffering is good, so then that's going to help you to like rationalize your experience of life. And it's just, of course, a way out. Yes. Is it wrong to like have that mindset? Like for someone that's not religious, doesn't believe in God, is it wrong to like... Think they were about faith. Uh, so, yeah. Is it, I'm not quite sure what you're asking. Is it like wrong to have that like that mindset? That everything that, like... That God helps me deal with pain? No, that like, it's just there to like... Make you feel better about life? Yeah, like that, that way, like, you know... I can't achieve what I want, so I'm going to just say God said... Meaning, if I can't yeah, face like, the reality, if I can't face the pain of the reality, let me make up a false story I mean, which will make me actually, feel better about life. My question is actually makes sense because it... Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meaning that's the, 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 the presentation is as follows. That religion provides you with a fantastic fairy story. It's a fairy story. It's a fairy story which is going to make you so much happy about the life that you actually don't like living. And then you can just like come up with all these great theories about how all these things are meaningful and they're for a reason. And then it's going to make you feel a lot better about your life. You're relating to this? I Right. That's how they present religion. Right. That's how, so you know, Rav Dessa is not like, it's not like amazing. He, he like, he died approximately 78 years ago, and, uh, which is a long time. And then when he wrote this, so it's in, enormous foresight that, you know, about how people grasp religion. And so he's going to challenge this. He says, so he says, as a result, since people can't cope with the stresses and, and the adversity of life, let me make up a story which explains it all away. And then, so, so Rav Dessa calls these people that they, they have an error. And he's going to start to um, dissect what reality is in order to see well, you know, what, it, what it actually is this notion of, of reality. And you start by addressing you're late. No, sorry, after I say you're late, then you don't say yeah, because that is an established principle that we both shared. You now have to introduce something new to the dialogue. You're late. Sorry? That could be a good way of starting. Because a reason. No reason. Sorry, I'm late for no reason. It's, it's, it's an average excuse. It's an average, like a more sophisticated excuse would be, I'm late because of. But I, causality again is, is up for grabs, so I'm going to go with it. Thank you for coming. It's great to have you here. It's okay. You have a copy of the sheet, don't you? Yes, it's upstairs. It's upstairs, yes. Of course it's upstairs, isn't it? Yeah, Well, I mean, if you go and fetch and then come back, you may still have like a minute to the share left. Okay. No, I was saying. Okay. Nice having you here. Always. Um, so, I've been nine him here, my mitzvahs. How do they know what reality is? Who told you what reality is? Meaning, their contention is, Uri, that. Are you guys in some like, well, what are you guys doing? Like, I feel that there may have been some conspiracy going on over here. It's funny because he's actually my Were you guys learning? No. 
<laughs> I think you're lying. I think you guys are busy learning. You got caught up in the sugya. You didn't realize the time. You didn't realize that you're 20 minutes late and it's disrespectful to enter in. You actually didn't even know because you're so caught up in your learning. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Well done. Thank you for coming late. Give it up. Magnificent. He didn't want to like make us all like feel bad, you know, that mm. we're not Sadiqim. So he wanted to. Amazing, amazing. I from that kind of guy. Look at them. Okay. So look at your sheets and follow inside the words. If you don't have a sheet in front of you, huddle up to someone who does. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you see the historical basis of the shackle. Back in the day, they only had one text for one person. So everyone tried to go like this. And then the next guy would go like this. And the next guy would go like this. And the shakal was invented. In other words, the contention of these people is you're avoiding reality by making up a fantasy. So instead of exploring and going with their paradigm, he challenges the, the axiom of the paradigm. He says, what's reality? You're saying they're having a hard time coping with reality. So what, what is in your mind's reality. When you think about reality, it only has meaning in relation to ourselves and who we are. There's no notion of reality as something outside of my own personal experience of it. Even that which we are able to assimilate from our five senses, we cannot establish that as a reality, but through our own experience. Meaning, we may be able to be convinced we've seen something, and it appears to be a reality that we can actually see, hear, or touch. But in the most extreme case, it could be a hallucination. So hallucinations is, is, is a fascinating occurrence because hallucinations is obviously it's, 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 it's a psychosis but it just shows that the mind can manufacture a sound you can get you can get auditory hallucinations Oliver Sacks has got a great book about them you can auditory like a person be walking down the road and then all of a sudden he'd hear the 1812 overture from Tchaikovsky but like blaring in his ears not like he'd think about it. He would hear it. Like it would deafen him and I'd look around and like look for where the music is coming from. He won't find it. Hey? And he won't find it. And he won't find it. In other words, your brain can generate a simulated anything. The example that Rav Des is about to give is that of a mirage where you have a hallucination when you're in the desert that you see an oasis. And as you get closer, it moves further away from you and you never quite get to it. So hallucinations are a fantastic example, even though they're a description of psychosis, of how the mind can create an external experience, apparently external experience, apparently that's being processed through our senses, and it's just a product of our brain. Yes, Jess? I mean, isn't reality just the way we... Well, I mean, yes, we experience it, but through what perspective? I mean, isn't reality just how we see it through whichever perspective we choose? Beautiful. Excellent. So he's going to develop the theme. So he says, So his example of hallucination is, is it not known the, 
the fantasies or what we would call hallucinations, that imagine those that pass through deserts, they see with their eyes, mamish real, fruit trees and pools of water. And the only, it doesn't become clear to them their mistake. When they get to their place, when they get to the place where they thought they were and they suddenly look ahead and lo and behold, the water and the fruits have moved. <laughs> so, first of all, um, even your experience of the external world is not 100% reliable. Because your brain can manufacture a simulation and you'll be impossible to, to, to differentiate. So it could be that we're all experiencing on a much more subtle level, much more um, subtle hallucinations. And we could, even, we could even go so far as to say that ultimately we're only ever experiencing hallucinations. Because since, and I think this is what Jesse kind of started to point out, since we see things through our own perspective, so when I look at Uri, am I really seeing Uri? I don't think so. I think I'm seeing what I perceive Uri to be. And that's going to have a certain energy and a uh, background to it. So I may have a completely distorted perspective, or I have no idea to that, and I assume that when I see him, the information that I'm getting from the outside is coherent with what I know and understand. And in fact, it's totally discordant, because where I had to go up to Uri and say to him, well, how are you doing? He revealed to me an entire dimension of himself that was completely oblivious, but not that I was oblivious, because I didn't know him that well. I actually had replaced what he was with something else, and I understood what I saw in relation to that. So I interpreted his, interpreted his body movements in accordance, his eye movements in accordance, and all I was seeing really was an idea in my own head. And he was more than, he was no more than just a prompt to that idea. So now reality all of a sudden becomes far less of a concrete thing and is now way, way open to the world of interpretation, Sasha. Um, what's the difference between someone's imagination taking over different and versus, versus two people looking at something with different perspectives but Good. Them being legitimate? Good. So now we're going to explore you know, like, I think everyone agrees that there's something called psychosis. And some, everyone agrees that there's something called hallucinations. And everyone agrees that those things make a person um, dis, um, alienated, isolated from reality. So people do recognize that there's, there's a certain limit to how far the person experience can go from the external stimulus. And when it gets too discordant, so then we call it psychosis or some other kind of mental illness. But probably until it gets to that point, there's still varied degrees of, I'm not really seeing what's out there, I'm seeing what's in here. Is that senses-based or like mindset-based? Mindset-based. Does Vo- everyone agree though, if you're out of psychosis, that senses-based, you're going to feel your reality is reality? No, of course not. Of course not. When you're out of psychosis, so right now in this moment, we're all having a radical, differently experience. Sense-wise. Sense-wise. For example, if you ask, raise your hands, those of you who are now cold in this room. This room is cold. 
Whoa. We're wearing different clothes. Yeah, but you're still experiencing the air on your face. So I'm talking about the room, I'm not talking about how you're feeling. Who over here is the room cold? Well, to me the room is cold, to you the room is warm. Look at Uri, right? The temperature in the room is pleasant. Because your sensory experience is different from my sensory experience. My hands are freezing, and your hands are probably warm. And it's not because he's better dressed than me, he's wearing way less than me. Not that the air is X temperature and based on our personal... There you go. There you go. In other words, what can we measure? Good. We can measure the temperature in the room. We can't measure cold or hot. We can measure the dimensions of the room. We can't measure big or small. Experience is always a relative notion. Subjective to me and me alone. Perspective. Perspective. So therefore, really, when we reflect upon an experience that we've had, all we're telling people is my story. When I say, oh, I went and there was the most beautiful sunset. To you. Someone else may have been there and said, it's boring. So all of us are living in radically different worlds. Now, whose world is right? This is where it becomes a little bit funny. So whose world is right? So not only do we live in different worlds, but the default setting, and it pans out in relationship conflict, is not only that my world is different, but also that my world is right. And there are radical consequences to that. For example, I'm sitting in this room. Now, if this room, is it, is it hot or is it cold? It's cold. So we're sitting in the room, and to him the room is hot. Which is fantastic when none of us are active. But now I say, I want to put on the heater. So Uri says, don't put on the heater. Because this room isn't hot. This room is pleasant. And I say, I'm putting on the heater because this room is freezing. So boom, here we have a conflict. Now in that conflict, what's going to happen? If I don't grasp the subjective nature of my perception of reality, I'm going to put myself on a moral pedestal and say, well, Uri is wrong and inconsiderate. And I'm right and justified. Of course, Uri is going to be doing the same thing. Since I'm trying to encroach on his climate change, on a very personal level, to saying that word, because hashtag climate change gets you lots of views. Um, so, Uri is going to say to me, there you go, you got to edit that one out. Uri is going to say to me, <laughs> Uri is going to say to me, no, why are you being ridiculous? Why do you want the heat on? Boom, there's conflict. There's no conflict. In reality, because all that's happening is you living in your world and I'm living in mine. So what would be if instead of me saying, I'm right and you're wrong, I say, I'm me and you are you. So then we'll say like this, well, I'm experiencing this room as cold, you're experiencing this room as perfect. What should we do? So now there's no, there's no, no one's on a higher pedestal than another. Now we have a relationship. Every relationship grows through conflict. Conflict is not a problem in a relationship. It's the nature of a relationship. Since a relationship means me and you, Daniel Nussbaum, turning up with our authentic selves and being present with our authentic selves and speaking our truth in our minds, my truth will be different to yours. That will create conflict. The relationship moves when we both accept and respect each other's views and we find a way that we can move together as a team. So, for example, with me and Uri, I now just wished that the air conditioner would go on, and it went on. And Uri's happy with that. 
because there's enough faith in the ineffective nature of the air conditioner to do nothing to the temperature of the room which is beautiful okay Sash this is your second question you've got a three quota um, you said that, con- that conflict is or excuse me a real Conflict is not a problem, but the nature of a relationship. But yes. we try to avoid conflict. Who's we, pal face? Well, pretty much everyone in the world. Oh, really? I didn't know you've spoken to everyone in the world to find it out. Um, maybe there are people that avoid conflict. People avoid conflict because they haven't fully embraced the personal nature of reality and they feel it's objective, and therefore they feel they're right and the other one's wrong, and therefore they, to be such a good person, I better not conflict with them. You know, poor them. They don't get it, you know. They don't get it, so I'll be nice to them, so I'll avoid conflict. Which, of course, very often just pe- pulls people further apart and can have incredibly bad consequences. Avoidant behavior can really, really set things backwards and sometimes can create emotional and sometimes radical financial loss. There's this middle manager that you really need to talk to, but you figure out, like, oh, you don't want to just conclude, like it would be such a bad feeling, so you let them keep on going and then the whole thing falls to place and you lose millions of dollars. Hello? It's simple. It's not simple. It's, I, I, I don't want to be too specific, but it's logic, not... Objective. Oh my gosh. Logic is the most pathetic, weak, and limited factor of understanding the world. I don't know why people get so intoxicated by the notion of logic. Logic has its bandwidth. Just like your sight can only see a certain distance. Your smell can only smell a certain range of smells. Your ears can only hear a certain range of sounds. Your brain, your logical brain, has, left side of your brain, has a very limited function. It's very good at tracing cause and effect. But it doesn't make up the axiom. So for example, it's logical if I believe that to start of a marriage relationship, I need to be financially sustainable and emotionally balanced. It's logical, therefore, if I'm unbalanced and I don't have a job, I shouldn't get married. But that's my only personal belief. That's not logical. For example, I believe that in order for me to get married, I need to be emotionally unstable and financially needy. Because I want to marry a woman who's a go-getter entrepreneur. And for me, having a single person in my life creates emotional stability. Multiple people really upsets me. So for me, emotional stability is, therefore I should get married. And the lack of financial resources, therefore I should get married. So the therefore starts off with an axiom. The axiom is just who I am. And it's a function of complete random factors which make me into me. So logic is a great thing for cause and effect, and that's a very limited thing. It doesn't help us with most things in life. And people are intoxicated with the logic and the scientific method, method believing that's the entirety of existence, when it's just a tiny, tiny fraction. And of course it excludes the primary cognitive mode, which is right brain thinking. And we delude ourselves into becoming intoxicated with left brain thinking, which allows everything to put into fit into nice and neat categories. But it's all just an illusion, and it's artificial, and it's arbitrary. And we tell Torah, the basis that we base our logic on, we know it. We don't base our logic on anything. Once we have a basis, then we use logical derivations. Yes, so the basis is that it's minashwai. The basis are axioms. It's an axiom. What's an axiom? It's an unchallengeable principle. Something you don't have to prove. Some people say you can't prove it either. Can't prove it. Gabriel. Um, So, 
Wait, based on like this, based on what you said, we can say that you're based on what you're saying reality is objective. Objective or subjective? Objective. What do you mean reality is objective? I was like just saying the exact opposite. How the, like people have their own subjective reality, but at the end of the day, there's like one objective reality. There is something in the external world which is measurable and quantifiable that we can all describe in terms of given metrics. That is objective. The experience of the moment is, which, which I would say is a much closer to the word reality, is completely dependent on perception, belief systems, sensory processing. So, yes. Is this room a certain, has a certain dimensions? Yes. Is it a certain temperature? Yes. Is it located in a certain place? Yes. Is it big or small? Is it cold or hot? Is it neat or dirty? Is it well designed or badly designed? In other words, the stuff which makes me me is not that. But, you're right. If my distance from the measurable component of the external environment is too far, so then it becomes psychosis. So, for example, if I say this room is big, yeah, I could go for that. If I say this room is small, I could go for this. If I say the room is warm, I could go for it. If I say the room is cold, I could go for it. If I say this room is sweltering and sweaty, pushing it. If I say this room is gigantic, pushing it. If I say this room is a boat, lost it. <laughs> you with me? Yeah, yeah. Go. Okay, Captain, keep on going. What? Uh, one on, um, for, uh, when you answer his question. So, with, the, with avoidance, right? Let's say um, uh, you and your wife get into an argument about, or a conflict about, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, mother-in-law or something. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, so, if it starts to get like, really heated, like, are you supposed to say, hey, Maybe, but why would it get heated? It gets heated because I'm trapped in my perception and you're trapped in yours. And I'm trying to control you to subscribe to my version of reality. Reality Conflicts only get heated when I try to push my experience of the world and make you subservient to it. Once I recognize that you've got your version and I've got my version, it can never get heated. Because I always say, oh, well, this is the way I see it. And you say, well, I see it differently. So I say, okay. It gets heated when I say, this is the way it is. Why aren't you seeing it? That's when it gets heated. Right. So let's say, like, um, our, uh, your mom is annoying her because she won't let her into her own kitchen. Right? So is that right or wrong? Don't know. It's up for grabs. And your wife starts to get, like, really pissed about it. Right. So then what do you do? Well, I say, okay, well, you know, I, I get you. You want free entrance. And I get her. She wants her own private space. So what should we do? There's nothing in the world of relationships, there's, not, 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 there's no wrong and right. There's the experience of the moment. I'm not talking about moral codes, I'm not talking about halacha. Join you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. End things now. What? Join oh, you. You're about to deliver something awesome, and you said the word halacha. Oh. Well, start that over? So what I was saying was, um, people, people, people are under the misapprehension that there's this right code of behavior. Dealing with dealing with married couples, it's incredible how diverse relationships pan out. For example, 
I've spoken to, uh, as I said, I spoke to, I think, there were 10 couples. And we spoke about some of the practices in their homes. Couple number one. Who does the shopping? The man. His wife doesn't know where the shop is. Couple number two. The man doesn't know where the shop is. Who does the domestic work? Couple number one. He does the laundry, the dishes, and the floors. Couple number two. He sits on the couch. Now, who's right and who's wrong? Well, no one. This works for them. This works for them. That works for them. There's no right and wrong. Just what works. And the more you embrace that, the more you recognize that relationships are functional me and you. And since me and you have got completely different versions of reality. And the goal of relationship is as I open myself up to recognizing that you've got a vastly different version of reality, I actually become bigger. Because instead of me seeing things through my one-track mind of this is reality, I say, oh, this is my perspective. And me go, oh, wow, I get that perspective. That's pretty cool. And, I be, and then I get that, oh, that's pretty cool. And I become broader and broader and broader because I'm capable of not becoming trapped in my own version of reality. Rabbi Zada. Is that's the case where you date people. Just accept the reality of the other person and make it fit to your life. That's an option. That could work. Would people get married much quicker and have happier marriages? Good for you. Nice idea. In the Hasej world, how, many, how long do the couple meet before they get married? Once again, let's answer the questions. No, not too late. They, 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 meet, they meet in the presence usually of their parents for 15, 20 minutes, and then they get married. How well do they know each other? Well, I mean, you can really build a deep and powerful relationship in 15 minutes with someone else watching, can't you? Uh, no, you can't. And why does it work? Why does it work? Well, it works because... If you're willing to see the other, so then there's no problem. No, they're different. They're, they're put in a mold. They yeah. copy the Rebbe. They, they copy the Rebbe. Whoa, here we go. Here we go. Look at that moral judgment caught up in your own world. Okay, there you go. Nice. Nice. It works well. Okay, nice. Yeah.